Hello everybody and welcome to Brumbagoon. You will not get there on a road bike. Well, you will not get there also without a good bike mechanic from time to time, especially if you are a big bike adventurer like the guy that I'm going to interview today, who happens also to be a great bike mechanic after a long life into the marketing field. But let's talk about my guest of today later, not before having said thank you for listening to this amazing podcast. Thank you for listening and sharing this great thing. And thank you for subscribing, rating and reviewing the same thing, episodes and podcasts together. This is the only way that I can have to put all my content up there and inspire everybody who wants to jump on a bike again. A great adventure out there on a bike, of course. Maybe not on a road bike, also on a road bike, who cares? I'm looking for new bike adventures today because I've been actually looking and staring at the amazing book Cross Stuff Cycling in the Alps from Isola Press. I've been scouting on that because I found that there are also a lot of gravel ride upon passes in the Swiss Alps. Well, now that I have a lot of free time, probably, yeah, I can actually start tackling one of those. I have to stop talking about a lot of free time because in the last weekend it was a craziness. Some physical problems got me to stay home and on the sofa for the almost all weekend apart from Saturday where I had an amazing hike also in the French, no sorry, in the Valais Alps. But apart from that I have to stop it and start riding the bike and shutting up and just talking about stuff on the podcast. With what I should start tackling these gravel roads? Of course, with my amazing Open Up. And thanks to Open and to Andy, especially, to support me for this season of the podcast with the amazing Open Up that I have below my saddle for this long time. I'm thinking about some changes over there. For sure, the wheels. I think I need bigger, let's say, smaller wheels with bigger tires. But that's another douche. Think. Probably the best thing to say is think. Well, I was talking about my guest of today. So his name is Bas Rothens. Hopefully I pronounce it correctly. Anyways, he's going to pronounce it in a bit during the interview. And this guy, I met him. So I started talking with him a lot of time ago in the period of the Bonner Bust. Uh, ride for sustainability started in Amsterdam and arrived in Bonn. And in that period, uh, at that time, I actually interviewed Lawrence Tendam. And then Bas was into the ride, and then we started chitty chatting or whatever. Then we met properly into the Atlas Monterey's, where I interviewed him a couple of times. And today we are going to talk about his adventure as a bike workshop owner small community and things like this. But we talked about a bit as well about adventure and the adventure that he has done this weekend is a huge dirty... So, okay, let's start from the beginning. During this weekend, so the weekend of the 30th of May, it was supposed to be the Dirty Kansa. But because of the pandemic, of the shitty pandemic, it was cancelled. So Lawrence Tendam decided to put together this amazing thing called Dirty Cancelled. So everybody could ride his own route, Dirty Route, if for 100, 200 or the XL in this case, 350 miles, wherever they are. 
solo or in a pair. And then thanks to Komoot, you could actually tag Komoot in your ride and everybody would see that. I think it was an amazing thing. And Bus, because of his attitude, decided to take the longest ride. So the XL, the extra large or the 350 miles. And he did it, actually. He started at 6 o'clock in the morning, as I remember, or maybe the night before. Anyways, uh, from the northern part of the mainland Netherlands, and I'm talking about North Cape in Groningen, uh, till the Drylanden Punkt, three country points in the Vals, the highest point in the very south of Netherlands. And he made it, let me check some numbers from him. So let's check the Dirty Cancel XL of Bas Rothans by the numbers. So it was 350 miles, aka 554.08 kilometers in a moving time of 30 hours and 42 minutes. Elevation 3,364, I would say not so much, but sorry for that. An average speed of 18 on point kilometers per hour and a maximum speed of 51.1 kilometers per hour hour elapsed time so total time with some coffee breaks and nappy breaks of 39 39 hours 42 minutes and 39 seconds all of that riding is really really trusty salsa cutthroat with rock shocks suspension fork the same one that he used for Atlas mountain race and silk road mountain race it was a really great adventure and I think that he's pretty toasted now and I'm super happy that I'm gonna go live with this episode exactly in the moment that he is recovering his toasty legs from this amazing ride. Listen to him, it was a great, great talk, really great talk. Today I'm really happy because I'm also seeing my guests with my new setup and I'm interviewing a really good friend of mine. We knew, actually I think that we know each other, we have been knowing each other since a lot of time digitally and then we finally met for the first time some weeks ago, a couple of months ago in Morocco for the Atlas Monte Race and today here we are going to talk about a lot of super cool stuff, topics that I never touch base so much in my podcast. I'm talking about Bas, uh, I'm going to misspell in a proper way your surname now, man. Bas Rogatz. That's actually pretty good. Thank you, man. The Dutch, the Dutch way to pronounce it is Rotgans. Rotgans, is true. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have this kind of weird G all around. Very similar yeah. to the one that we have here in Switzerland, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It's actually really similar. Yeah. yeah. All the time I say that actually um, the Swiss German is kind of a Dutch with less charm. But I don't want to go into this conversation. Probably some Swiss people are listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Like I've I've always skied and snowboarded a lot, so I spent some time in Switzerland, and I I've always really liked Switzerland. So okay, uh, yeah. But there are some sounds, like especially in your throat, the guttural sounds that are pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you that's really close here to Zurich. There is this really good and well-known climb, and the name of it is Satellech. Oh, yeah. So you see, <laughs> Satellite, yeah. Yeah, Satellite. it's really similar to that. I think I'm going to do it by in this weekend, but that's another story. So Bas, everything fine? Maybe, I don't know, I gave a small couple of words about yourself. Probably you can give us two more words about yourself a bit more for my audience, not for me. But a good refreshing is also good for me, I think. Uh, my name is uh, Bas Rutgans, Rogans, as you said. Uh, I'm 47. Uh, I really love bicycles. I have a 12-year-old daughter, um, and me and her mom are not together anymore, but 
she's with me one week and then the other week she's with her mom. And together with my current girlfriend, we have a, a foster daughter in our patchwork family since a few months, which has been really exciting um, part of our lives now. And I live in a place in the Netherlands called Haarlem. It's a, somewhere halfway between Amsterdam and the sea. Mm-hmm. And I have a bike store in Amsterdam that's called Wheel Runner. And I, cycling-wise, I'm really into riding long distances, especially off-road. Um, and over the last few years, I've really gotten into bikepacking races because they kind of bring together adventure, long distances, off-road riding, all the stuff that I really like. So talking about um, Dutch users, so commuting style in the Netherlands or in Holland, uh, you are. You told me that you live in Harlem. It should be around. You told me before twenty-five kilometers from your sh- workshop. You are commuting by bike every day. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so my girlfriend lives around the corner of my shop. So that's not really far to commute, but uh, I am like part-time living in Harlem, so part-time at her place, and Harlem is about an hour's ride, and like, if you do that in the Netherlands, that's considered pretty hardcore commuting. Really? Yeah, yeah, that's like, 25 kilometers is really, if you do that most days or every day, that's, that's like, pretty hardcore, but most Dutchies cycle every single day, you know, they'll cycle from, if they live in Amsterdam, but they need to cycle to the work, uh, which is seven kilometers away, they cycle, um so yeah it's kind of interesting like i think in 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 the netherlands cycling is not even a lifestyle it's just part of life it's always there i remember my daughter cycled to school for the first time when she was four and a half probably wow okay and before that she would ride with me on my bike to her school so she's she's hardly ever taken a car to her school that's great yeah yeah and how do you do actually for your commute from home to the shop? These twenty-five kilometers you said this hour commuting, you try to scout all the times new routes so to be a bit more in the dirty roads, or you just get the fast and dirty. I mean, dirty. I said the fastest way and the dirtiest way to get to work. And I, actually, most of the times that last thing, like I have this <laughs> one, I have this one line that I ride, and it's pretty boring, but. In the, way, in the same way, it's almost meditative. I put my blinders on and I just sit on my bike and I'm riding and I'm kind of processing what's going on with work or my life or whatever. I listen to some music, sometimes a podcast. Um, and it's kind of funny because I, we moved to Harlem when my daughter was born. Um, so I've been riding that same route for 12 years now. So I I once did a calculation that I must have ridden that same stretch of road maybe 1,500 or 2,000 times now. Wow, okay. And and that's pretty wild if you think about it. It's just so crazy. Um, And I've worked in several locations, but almost always in Amsterdam. Um, And the funny thing is, like, over the last few years, you've really seen the kind of traffic change. There's been a lot of people on high-speed e-bikes that have joined the commuting mm-hmm. train more or less the one with the plug so the one that are really considered stuff with motors not the one that are yeah. actually just the bike that you need to pedal no 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 so like the, like it's a proper like high speed e-bike okay. you know you still need to pedal but they go like 45 kilometers an hour wow okay and and there's this whole like scene of these super serious like commuters that kind of left their car behind and are 
riding the, the most of the times it's stromers it's a swiss bike mm-hmm. um they're riding their stromers up and down and and like harlem amsterdam is for me it's about an hour's ride but if you're on a stromer it's probably like 40 minutes okay and if i were to go from my house to the station it would and then the like the train ride from harlem to amsterdam is only 15 minutes mm-hmm. but if i take my bike ride to the station take a train come to amsterdam then i need to get to my store so it's probably like 45 50 minutes one way if i would take public transport and if i would go by bike it's only 10 minutes longer so it really it's like it's 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 20 minutes extra per day to get two hours of workouts so it's mm-hmm. a really efficient move yeah 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 yeah. it's a no-brainer in my opinion i think if i know you enough it's a no-brainer for you better to take the bike of course if you're it's raining like hell or you are super tired because of whatever okay it makes sense to take once in a while the train otherwise yeah. oh but i have a shitty day every now and then so there's like days where i go like ah oh, fuck it i'm taking the train i don't care okay okay yeah like, don't blame you know you, yeah, that's yeah. no shame on that it's completely fine um funny thing though is always when i'm in the train even when it's shitty weather and i can see the bike path from the train and i think i should have been out there today so when i was living in berlin because i found that here the um, the weather is a bit milder than berlin okay when i was in berlin i was feeling exactly the same the in winter the couple of days a week that i was taking the train or the metro to go to work taking super long with a lot of people it got me also nauseous and stuff i didn't like it i was thinking okay even if it was raining even if it was frozen would have been way better to get the bike and whatever it happens it happens you know i got i remember i was used to have a shower at my office the shower at my place so nothing really can happen i'm going with the bike yeah and especially after a while you get like a decent rain jacket and stuff and then you're exactly totally okay yeah. yeah 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 well man seems like you are pretty because of this background of yourself living in Netherlands and uh, because of the background that I see in fr- uh, behind you and because of this conversation that we have, it seems like you have a bit more, a bit of knowledge about bikes. But how did it happen? When bus, the cycling bus, became the bus that is now? Yeah, that's kind of funny, man. Um, so, like, like I said, like cycling's been in my life forever, but it's because you're Dutch. So you cycle everywhere when you're a kid and you cycle to school. And, um, and I think I, like, I distinctly remember somewhere late in high school that I read an article about sort of this crazy new thing that was happening in America that was mountain biking that got invented more or less. And, uh, I remember reading stuff about it and being really, really attracted by it like really thought it was a cool thing to see and do. Um, but I was already very much into windsurfing at the time and, and snowboarding. So I didn't have a lot more pocket money to get into a new hobby. Um, and I kind of like, it was still in the back of my mind, but I never really did anything with it. And then it, later on when I was studying, um, a friend of mine took me out mountain biking on one of them. We have some... So the Netherlands is obviously very flat, but we have... No, some... don't tell me that. Yeah, it is. I... <laughs> you, have the, you have the Dutch mountains. <laughs> yeah, but that's riding into the wind. Yeah. No, but... Um, so a friend of mine took me mountain biking on one of the mountain bike routes, and I think I was 25 around that time, and I was really hooked. It was on the weekend. I was completely hooked. Like, I did it one time, and I was like, 
shit, this is that stuff that I've been dreaming about for 10 years. And even though I was a student, like I was still didn't have a lot of money, but I had a little bit of money. So the, the Tuesday after that, I went to the bike store. I got a secondhand, I think a rock hopper, like a specialized rock hopper. And I was hooked, man. And um, I would like throw that bike in the back of the car, um, go to one of the mountain bike routes here in the Netherlands, uh, go mountain biking. And then I, I, I really love that. And then later on, like there's like a lot of steps in between, but um, I started riding on the road more, um, co commuting already, um, and started training for a mountain bike race called Transprovence. And I was never into training, but like the, I really wanted to work towards that event. Yeah, but that's kind of where it all clicked. Is I clicked through mountain biking, and then I kind of transferred to riding on the road more. Um, but I've always, somewhere I've always been a mountain biker at heart. So when gravel biking came, um, it was kind of like those two things that I loved came together. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that's why I like, you know, I, I love all the bikepacking races. Um, I've ridden Trans-Pyrenees last fall. And as much as I love the event, I realized there, like my real heart is in riding off-road. The dirt riding is your riding. Yeah. 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 So yeah, yeah. like the Atlas mountain race or the Silk Road mountain race, that's really where my passion is, is riding off-road. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And actually, yeah, I remember that we had this conversation when we were sitting in front of a beer at the finishers party. Not before, when I arrived uh, at... It was in Agadir, right? Yeah. In Sidirabat at the end of the Atlas Mountain Race. You told me actually that you made a lot of those bicycle bikepacking races. You mentioned the further Silk Road Mountain Race, Atlas Mountain Race, Trans-Pyrenees, Transcontinental Race as well. I've never done Transcontinental. No, never. Okay. No, but um, so last year I did a race called uh, Cabin Fever in Sweden, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I can... I highly recommend. It's an amazing little race. Good to know. It's seven. It's about 700 kilometers, depending on whatever route they plan to do. Uh, but it's really, it's a, a concept that's I've never seen anywhere else. You do four loops and you come through a headquarter every time. Mm -hmm. So you can, on every loop, you can decide if you want to bring stuff or leave it in the headquarters. Okay. And it's kind of, it's, so it's a really interesting race because it turns into a bit of this tactical game. What are you going to bring? What are you not going to bring on the next loop? And the Swedish countryside is pretty wild, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So and, it's uh, off-road anyways. Yeah, off -road. definitely off-road. Okay. And uh, I, uh, Kalle, and the, there's a, in a town called Jönköping in Sweden, there's a crew of people... Um, La Leprestanka, it's a cycling club from there. They do some really cool, like really creative concepts for events. Okay, and, good to know. And it's it's a really fun place to go. And, and especially the Cabin Fever event was really fun. And then obviously Transpyrenees is organized by Lost Dot. So the same com uh, same race promoter as um, Transpir uh, Transcontinental. Transcontinental. Mm -hmm. um, and... 
like I've never ridden in the Pyrenees, so that's why I really wanted to ride it. And it was sort of, so I have a immense respect for Mike Hall. And I really wanted to ride this race sort of as a, I don't know, like an honorary thing to his remembrance. Um, so that's why I wrote Trans Pyrenees. And further, the race was, uh, I think Camille McMillan is sort of this crazy creative genius. Yes. He and he, <laughs> he organized that race and I managed to get myself a, a place on there. I failed miserably. <laughs> you didn't finish that. Yeah, I really came crashing down. And it was at the end of last summer, I'd spent three weeks at the campsite drinking beers with my friends, um, not riding bikes. And then all of a sudden there was this race and I was totally unprepared for it. Um, so this year I promised myself I come back and be stronger and, and finish it because it's, I think it's... Um, it's a really challenging race in a good way. It's creative, it's new, it's fresh. And yeah, I bring your hiking shoes. Everybody told me that there is more hike than bike. Oh, yeah. So it's funny. It's like it's riding, but then when, when it gets hiking, it's, it's the worst hike of bikes you've seen in your life. <laughs> so <Camille>. you, <laughs> I've, I've, I'm seriously, and I haven't decided yet, I'm seriously considering if it, if it pays off to ride on flat pedals with okay. trail running sneakers. And then live with the fact that you're riding on trail pedals on the cycling bits. But I think the trail running shoes could actually be way quicker on the hiking bits. Can make a lot of sense. Can make really a lot of sense. Maybe you can yeah. ask. Which kind of shoes Emma Polly was bringing with her? Probably hiking. I'm not she, sure. No, she, Emma was I don't on, think she was in uh, on flat pedals. I don't think so. No, Emma was on cycling shoes. But yes. Emma is in a league of her own. She's amazing. Yeah, she's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely cool um focusing a bit so something like getting a bit more the direction instead of riding of the your business i would put it in this way mm -hmm. so you don't actually your main business in your life probably was never the one of having a bike shop right but at a certain point you decided to open a workshop tell me more about that also um just to give another tiny bit of context you are sitting in front of two mountain bikes. What bicycle are those ones? <laughs> that's a it's a Trek Remedy uh, okay. trail bike that I own, a 29er. And I'm actually trying to sell. So if someone wants to buy Trek Remedy, <laughs> We're going to put a picture. Let me do that. It's, been, bu it's been built up custom. And the other one, uh, it's actually, it's one of my, it's, I always call it the best cornering bike I've ever had. It's a Stanton. It's a brand from the UK that does mostly... Mostly steel and a little bit of titanium. It's a hardtail mountain bike. Okay. Um, and it's actually, it's always been on the small side for me. Just sort of a little bit too small. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the frame is still intact, but the paint job was always really shitty. And it, so it looks a bit rusty and a bit manky, but it's still, it's, it's the best cornering bike I've ever owned in my life. Perfect. So at the moment in your world, there are your bikes there. They're not customers, bike, or... Well, if I, if I turn around a bit more, there's, like, uh -huh. there's customer bikes that need to be picked up. Okay. And there's bikes from customers that um, need to work on. There in the stand is one of uh, the Rafa Club's rental bikes. And in the rear here, we have, like, more customer bikes that we need to work on. 
So people cannot see you, but I can say that probably I'm counting there roughly 50 bikes are around your workshop. 50? Yeah, I would say 50. There are more or less 50 no, bikes. No, I, I think more like 20 or 25 bikes. Okay, okay, okay. I was optimistic. Yeah, yeah, but it's 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 all fun bikes. So yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of drop bars, a lot of flat bars. Yeah. So mostly, it's kind of funny when I started the shop. We're going too fast, but when I started the shop, I thought we would have like five percent mountain bikes in here, but I think it's more like half a percent. So it's mostly drop bar bikes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So how did it happen? Why at a certain point, Bas said? Okay, I just want to start this new business. You were in digital before, don't you? Yeah, uh, no, marketing, right? I was in marketing and, and mostly sports marketing. Mm -hmm. I worked at Red Bull for a couple of years. I freelanced for Red Bull a bit more. Um, from that, I got into sort of sports marketing. And in, in the Netherlands, if you're into sports marketing, you get into bicycle marketing pretty quickly. Of course. Um, but I was really fed up with working behind a computer as a marketing manager or content marketer or whatever. And um, I'd already been work Like, I really wanted to work with my hands more. I was getting a bit sick and tired of sitting behind the computer. And uh, I'd already, in some shape or form, been walking around with the idea to do for a bicycle shop for probably close to 10 years. And... Um, and I wanted that shop to be for people who are very passionate about their bikes. I guess kind of a bit like I am. And um, uh, one second, my phone. Bicycle shop, bicycle shop duties. Answer Do you have phone, time for my bike tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's Michiel. It's my brother. Right. Ah, say hi to him from my side. I will. I will. Um, no, so I was I was fed up with working behind a computer, and then kind of some coincidences um i realized that what would help people is is a really good workshop so where there are people working on your bike oh. i don't think amsterdam needed another bike shop where you could buy new bicycles and then i kind of ran into this space um that we are in now which is an old billiards factory in the heart of amsterdam Wow, and um, it's a it's a really nice place with a lot of history, and uh, yeah, so it, it, that's so those things kind of came together. So I found the space. I my idea of this bike shop turned into more of a workshop, and um, um, yeah, I was able to turn that into a reality. And um, we started fifteen months ago. Um, and I don't know, it's kind of weird, like straight from the beginning, exactly the kind of customers that we wanted start coming th started coming through the door. Let's make that. Um, so imagine that I'm jumping into your shop right now. Oh, by the way, did we say that? Uh, did we mention actually the name of your shop, the Wheel Runner in Amsterdam? Yeah. So we put it a bit. Yeah, Wheel Runner. So the name is, um, in Dutch, we have a word called Wheelrenner. Mm-hmm. Which literally means, if you translate it into English, it means wheel runner. Okay. Which is which is the Dutch word for a road cyclist, hmm. and it's like it's not used anywhere else in the world. Um, it's a, a very Dutch name, and um, um, and we thought it was like super funny to translate that into English. Yeah. And then when I started googling wheel runner, what it means. In English, it didn't. Nothing showed up except hamsters running around in a wheel. Okay. 
And I thought a hamster running around in a wheel is kind of like a road cyclist training at home on the indoor trainer. Yeah. So we made the hamster our logo. And that's why we have a, a hamster for a logo. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so yeah, the spirit seems like it's pretty clear, but which one are... So Stefano is jumping into the wheel runner. And of course, a couple of I-5s talking with, with Bass or whatever, but which kind of spirit I am going to breathe there in the shop and which kind of people and community I'm going to see around? Which one is the really the full soul of your bicycle shop? So I hope it feels a bit a bit raw and more like a, like a cycling garage than a clean and sterile shop shop okay not a coffee shop it's no, a bicycle a, workshop yeah we're a bicycle workshop there's grease on the floor and there's people with dirty hands working on bikes perfect um and i hope that you can feel the passion um and and get in, inspired about all the like really positive emotions that a, that a good bike can bring you mm -hmm. and uh uh, when you come in, I have my, my bike from Atlas Mountain Races hanging on the wall and still dirty. I still, oh, yeah. need, I still need to clean it. it. Just I don't know. It was just three months ago, man. You have time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, people are always, like, when they see that bike, they always start asking, like, where on earth did that bike go? And um, so that's kind of what I, what I hope. It's, I, it's, it's, it's real. Mm -hmm, it's, mm -hmm. not, it's not a, a design shop. So it's really real shop with real people, with real dirty hands, with real love for cycling. Yeah, especially that last bit, the real love for cycling. I, that's the one thing I want to show. So it's not more... Because that's the trend, actually, that I'm seeing around really, really often in bicycle shop and in bicycle fans or in cyclists in general. Seems like it's a bit more a trendy, fancy thing. That Don't get me wrong. I think it's a good way. Yeah. Because until bicycle gets trendy we are all happy, you know, yeah, better yeah. bikes than anything else, probably. But on the other side, it seems like it's just a pretending game of being on the bike instead of being on a bike. Yeah. While it seems like from your voice and from your spirit, from your experience, from your past, seems like there you will really find real people that if you want to stop there and talk for a half an hour about headsets or different pedal, different bearings for different pedals, you can really do that or experience as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's important. Um, because I don't know, man, you're like, there's so much components to your bikes and bikes can be pretty complicated machines. And, um, so you want to know what's going on inside your bike. So we, when we started, like, so the funny thing is, for instance, when we started, we thought like, well, we should get a, like a nice espresso machine because people want to come in and we can make them a nice coffee. And then we started and then we realized that we're, when we're working on the bicycles, most of the times we have really dirty hands. Okay. So there's no, no way in hell where we could make people like a really nice flat white or a cappuccino or something. And we said like, fuck it. Like we have a super simple machine. We can, we can make you a black coffee, but that's it. Only black coffee. Yeah, only espresso. And around the corner, we have a shop um, that we work a lot with uh, called Maats. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's one of our shops in Amsterdam. They do like super nice cycling kits and outfits and all the, the software and really good coffee and a cold beer at the end of the day. Um, but they don't do any of the technical stuff. So we have a really nice combination between the two of us where if someone comes into their shop and says, hey, I need a bike mechanic, they point in our direction. And if you're someone asking me, hey, I need a nice cycling kit or I need a helmet, I can point in their direction. Okay. 
And um, so there's a, there, there, so we really complement each other, but there's also a very clear division mm-hmm. um, what we do and what we don't do. Yeah, that's that's perfect. What about the customer? Which kind of customer do you see in uh, in your shop? Which one is your the I don't know why your customers are so special? Why Will's runner Will runner it's so special for customers? So in Amsterdam, um, if you go to we have we have a word a Dutch word called fietsenmaker, which is a person who works on your bike, a okay. bicycle a bicycle repairman. Okay. And but most fietsenmakers in Amsterdam they do they will do any kind of bike. And we are definitely so we have sometimes people coming in with their Amsterdam city bikes and you go like, oh, I think you guys only do road bikes, right? And it's so it's it's very it's pretty rare that um uh a, a, that we basically we are fietsenmakers, but only for high end road higher end road bikes, I would say. And um, uh, so the customers that's, that are finding us more and more and more are people with their road bikes and, and some mountain bikes, um, but more road bikes. And those are the people that we can help and really make their bikes better, like maintain them. Sometimes it's people just getting into road cycling, but we always try to be friendly and try to be open because I think if we can get more people into the sport, that's an amazing thing. Um, I think it's one of the greatest forces in life to be on your bicycle. And so if someone comes in with like a shitty old secondhand bike that they bought off Mark's last, which is like Dutch eBay, like I would help them. We always help them. There is a limit. Sometimes a bike is too shitty to make it work, but um, most of the times we can help people get working on their bikes but at the same time we have a customer here who just brought in a speed wagon handmade in portland uh like i don't even want to know how expensive that bike was like a steel super bike handmade by sasha in in portland and um like even when a person like that brings a bike into us like even we are blown away by how beautiful that bike is you know yeah it's not John, right? He has a Speedwagon, I think. Who? John Woodruff. Yeah. Does he have oh, a Speedwagon, no, no. yeah, right? John, it's not John him. John also has a Speedwagon. No, this yeah. is a different Speedwagon. Okay. Speed okay, okay, okay. Yeah. What I want to tell you, but you also, you were saying that actually if somebody comes in your shop with a bike bought in the um, Dutch version of eBay, you will try to help them or whatever. But you also, if somebody comes actually with just the idea, you know you know what, Bas, I'm looking for a bicycle to make my commuting and also to do some adventure outside or whatever. You can indicate them also some good brands. We also have some brands that are reflecting your way of seeing cycling inside of your shop or? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I kind of like bikes. Obviously, I kind of like bike brands who do things a bit differently. So we... We're a dealer for Salsa and Surly. Of course. Um, Salsa obviously being the adventure bike brand and Surly being sort of the no-nonsense steel uh, brand. Um, we do Kona, the the biggest small bike company in the world or the smallest big bike company in the world, <laughs> yeah. whatever you want to call it. And we like the stuff from Boomtrek also. Okay. Um, I think they they've really uh, added something to the bicycle landscape. 
Um, as much as I respect what Trek and Specialized are doing in the in the um, uh, as a brand and on a development scale and innovation scale, um, they don't fit our shop so much. Mm-hmm. And also, this distribution strategy is different, but that's okay. Okay. Um, and we have a cooperation with Canyon Bicycles, believe it or not. Okay. Um, we are so. I'm not sure if Kenyan has this in every single country where they are, but in the Netherlands, they've set up a small network of shops that are Kenyan friendly. Really? Okay. And so if you have, if you live in Amsterdam and you have a problem with your Kenyan bike, mm-hmm. um, you call into the service center at Kenyan and they see where you're calling from. So they say, well, I, I can see you're in Amsterdam. We actually have a partner that we cooperate with, which is Wheelrunner. Mm-hmm. Um, you're more than welcome to go into their shop and have them have a look at your bike instead of sending it back to our service center in a box. Um, and then if something is, so we, we get to judge the bike and if something is a warranty that should have been right in the first place, because sometimes a bike get knocks, gets knocked around in a cardboard box when it's shipped out, okay. mm. then we fix it for the customer and we send the invoice to Kenyon. And so we've, we've made that agreement with Kenyon um and we we like proactively approached them when we started the shop like hey we would like to do i knew they were rolling out that network and and it's something that i wanted to do um and i'm like i'm i think kenyan bicycles are pretty good bikes you know like if i was in the market for a high-end carbon bike kenyan would definitely be on my list of bicycle brands to look at mm-hmm. um so i don't mind I don't mind servicing a bike that was bought on the internet since we don't sell a lot of bikes. We're a workshop. We, yeah, like, yeah. we like working on bicycles. And also if you bought your bike on the internet, it's not, in the end, it's still a bicycle. You know, man, that's um, that's really something really interesting and really amazing because I think that at the beginning, the first problem that the Canyon people, I'm talking about Canyon because at the moment, especially talking in Europe, is probably the biggest one, the biggest e-commerce of bikes or the biggest uh, digital provider for bicycles that we can find. And actually they got at the beginning a lot of problems because they were going to get, people were going to get their bike fixed to the normal bicycle workshop and stuff. Bicycle workshop that they were selling their own bike. And this means that actually they were looking, they were not making any profit from the bicycle bought from the internet. So they got this problem, but actually putting together these two layers. So bicycle button, selling bicycle in the internet and getting a network of workshops that they can fix them or other companies, other brands like Rafa, for example, I was planning to ask and to take over this, uh, topic in a second but also Rafa selling most of their things online but also spreading around the network with the Rafa cycling club and everything together helps also the community so this is probably the next way right not just freezing the two words online and then making a war online versus physical but actually bonding the things together in order to build the community and that's great right so it's kind of interesting because I think it needs to so everyone always I think everyone always thinks it needs to come from those big brands. So Kenyan needs to be nice to the world. But the same thing goes for bike shop. Like the bike shop, if you're a workshop or a bike shop, you need to be nice to the people that come through your door. Yeah, you know, and and not only to people who buy a bicycle in your shop, but pretty much everyone on a bicycle. Um, 
And it's uh, like, I don't know, that, that's what, pe so this, this old cliche, you know, of the grumpy bike mechanic where you come into the shop and this guy's like, oh man, you fucked up your bicycle again. Mm. Come on, no one is waiting for that cliche anymore. Like, you know, cycling makes you happy. And cycling is like a really positive experience. And no one is waiting to walk into a shop when they have a problem with the bike and then get get a, get a shitload of crap poured out of them because they they don't know how to man, maintain their chain or set up their gearing or whatever. Yeah, I'm one of those, actually. I don't know how to maintain <laughs> my bike. I never clean it. I'm really bad. But on the other side, if you are yell to the other people, the only thing that I'm going to do, I'm going to just start fixing the bicycle by myself, right? Yeah. Being bad for the for the workshop because nobody will go there and bad for me because I don't know how to fix it and I will end up to the hospital really often. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think so it needs to come both ways. I think the big brands need to understand that if they move most of their business online, they, they're going to, they, at some point, they're going to need to lean on people who are organizing stuff or doing stuff locally. And they need to be willing to pay for that almost. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I mean, it's not what's, what's happening now, but if, if Kenyan, for instance, wants my service as a service center, they should be willing to pay a few hundred euros a month into my rent for renting my workshop. Mm -hmm. So that they can lean on the fact that they can say, yeah, in Amsterdam, there's a workshop and you can go there with your Kenyan bicycle and you don't have to send your bike back. But at the same time, the bike shops need to be nice to their consumers also. And now that I'm talking to you about it, I'm actually realizing, you know, who else needs to take responsibility is the mm -hmm. consumers themselves. Yeah. You buy a bike from the internet and you run into a problem like you need to realize that you cut out a few corners and, you know, you need to be understanding of the fact that your local bike shop is not super happy that you spent your money on an internet site instead of in their, in their shop and that they would give preference to people who actually buy their bike in that shop. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I, you know, and I think that's, that's important. Like understand where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that I'm not so thinking about, um, let's say, in the customer uh, point of view. That's what I am. It's yeah. not that the uh, guys in the workshop, the guy mechanic or whatever, are not serving you, but you need to deal with something that happens. So yeah. getting, for example, instead of getting your bicycle after three hours, you're going to get after three, after two days. It's fine. Just because, you know, it's kind of helping people with the different services. I know, so from a shop perspective, I know, for instance, that it's, um, it's really hard to find good bike mechanics. Mm, okay. So shops always have a pretty much an understaffed uh, workshop because they have a hard time finding bike mechanics. Okay. And so if you come in with your bike that you bought online somewhere mm -hmm. and you expect them to work on your bike two hours after you brought it in, um, and they have the choice between, if, if for instance, you're in Amsterdam, you have a shop called Kaptein, which is like a classical bike shop. It's a, they really know their shit and they're a really good bike shop. And they sell a lot of specialized. So if they have two customers coming into the workshop, one with a specialized that's bought in the shop and one with a Kenyan that was bought online, 
and they need to help one of these customers in the workshop and they only have time to do one first, which one do you think they pick? Of course. Yeah. 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 And, it, and, and, on, and honestly, I think they're right because it, you know, like the customers built up some trust and loyalty with the shop and that loyalty can be repaid in that right there. And then, and then, and if you have a bike that you bought online, then you're going, you're the second priority. You're not the first priority. And you need to understand that. Apart from that, that is pretty linear and let's say comprehensible. Another thing that I was thinking is not only because they need to make a queue or they may do, they need to make a priority list on whom I'm going to serve first. But as you were saying before, um, the good mechanicer are not so many. And maybe if you want to hire one, you need to pay it super good to pay him or her super good. What does it mean? That in order to pay a good mechaniker to make your stuff perfect, you need to have more money. If everybody's buying only bicycle online, they're not this money. And so in order for you to fix your bike online, you have to bring it to the shop and you have to deal with the fact that that shop doesn't have enough good mechanical to make your bike ready on the same day. It's not just because they're making a priority list, but just because there are no money to make the staff proper, something like um, the number of people working in the staff properly to fix the problem of everybody. Yeah, yeah. That's the main thing. Where do you, which one is your priority? Getting a good bike, a perfect bike online for a good price and maybe deal with the things that you're going to get more time to get your bike fixed or maintained or set up whenever it happens or spending your money online uh, sorry offline so to a shop and be ready on having an appear bicycle shop owner an appear community and also your bike fixed a bit earlier yeah. or set up a bit earlier or set up the way you want so with your group set or whatever just because you are letting this community growing these are the two yeah. things yeah Nothing against um, online shops, nothing against them. I don't have a problem with online at all. Um, I have a, so I, like you work as a freelancer. So I have, we used to have, like when I was sharing a, an office with a bunch of freelancers and we jokingly, we had this triangle. Yeah. And it was the triangle between cheap, fast and good. And when you're my customer, you can pick two. So if you want something cheap and you want it fast, I cannot do it good for you. Yes. If you want it fast and you want it good, I don't care. I will work through the night for you, mm -hmm, but it's mm -hmm. not going to be cheap. And if you, what's the one I haven't had yet? So if you want it cheap and if you want it good, okay, that's fine. But then I'll do it. Somewhere in the future, when I have like a spare hour left to work on your specific problem, but Makes it will sense. never be fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so it's it's that triangle as a customer, and you need to realize you cannot get and cheap and fast and good at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. You know what? I want to just add to this topic, and I think it's pretty interesting. I want to add another small. Um, another small detail, and it is innovation. So, if you are going to only have online shops, this means that actually you are pushing products to the people, right? And in order to be innovative, you need really to work a lot on research and development or whatever, but this means that probably you're going to have 
less products and blah, 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 blah. While on the other side, if you go, for example, to a bicycle shop or um, to a bicycle workshop or whatever, sitting together or with a bike or with a frame builder, sitting together and saying, you know what, these are my needs. And I would love to have a bicycle that is like this, 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 and that. Then you sit together with the specialist in this case, and you're going to decide together something that is going to be innovative. And then the specialist itself, he can develop also this product to all over the world. On the other side, if you want to build a lot of things that will fill the gaps in the market, this means that you are not going to have so much innovation. So this is the, also the other difference. Only by working pretty close with the customer and being small and being having the opportunity to move around super fast, you're going to have also some innovation. Otherwise, the risk, if you only follow the rules of the market, is that we are going to all have the same bike, all having the same specific bikes without having so much innovation. What do you think about that? So I think there's another variable that needs to be added to that mm -hmm. um, equation, which is quality. Okay. Because innovation is only like I get lots of customers in the shop. I like working with brands who do like proper quality stuff. And that usually means they're a little bit more expensive. Yeah, 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 of course. It's actually it's that triangle again of good, cheap, and and fast. And if you want something that's good, um it's it it's it will never be cheap. Never, and of so course. I kind of so to give you an example, I for years already I've been a fan of the products from Hope in the mm -hmm. UK, mm -hmm. and for lots of reasons. One of the reasons is that they produce locally, so they don't do Chinese. There's no one working in a foreign country way far away that's paying the price for your product to be cheap. Yeah. And Hope, if you if someone shows up in my shop with a 15 year old. Um, disc brake Hope actually still sells all the replacement parts that I need for that disc brake okay so I can actually still service a 15 or 20 year old disc brake because they have the, the spare parts online they have the spare parts available sorry and if you need to buy a Hope brake it will Never, you won't find them really cheap on online discounter websites because Hope doesn't play that game. Yes. And so a Shimano disc brake will always look better if you're shopping at a website. But five years down the line, 10 years down the line, when you're trying to keep that product alive and the world knows we need to keep products alive, you can still fix your Hope Shimano sometimes, but sometimes not, but you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, I like innovation if something really good comes out of it. And I think if you look back at bicycles over the last couple of years, they've gotten, if you take a, whatever, an endurance road bike from now and from five years ago, the one from now is really better than the one from five years ago. Yeah. And it's always small steps that lead to that improvement. No, it makes sense. And also another quality index that you have is um, replacing, sorry, it's not replacement, it's fixing. Yeah, repairing. Uh, repairing, thanks. Repairing yeah. out of changing something like really changing completely. It's like, it's the same thing. We actually, with the phones, we got used that after five years, you need to change the phone even before. To, to buy a new phone because it's not good. Electronics in general, computers and stuff. With bikes, actually, we were always used. You can always fix and repair your bikes. Now we are at the moment that 
you need really sometimes you just need to switch to a new thing uh, just because this is too old also changing bicycles every few days now if you are really into super specific bicycles and that that's yeah. actually it's not how it works that's how usually um bicycle workshop bicycle shops in general helps you to maintain your bike by just repairing some stuff instead of changing new things otherwise we don't need the repairing shop anymore we just need a new bicycle new retailers a new bicycle new retailers yeah yeah but that's honestly like if you think about it that's i think in in the core is one of the things i love about bicycles is that if something breaks on your bicycle i can just change one component and make your whole bicycle good again yeah so say your rear derailleur breaks i mean a rear derailleur is pretty expensive but on a on a whole bicycle it's actually kind of okay to replace a rear bicycle rear derailleur and then make your whole bicycle good again and that's one of the things that i've loved about always loved about bicycles is that it's so relatively easy to repair mm -hmm. and and we like in the workshop here we go on a much deeper level because if someone brings in a, re, a, a nice wheel set with dt swiss um hubs in them we can exchange the bearings, wow. put new bearings in, and it's not it's not magic. Like that's what good workshops do. You put new bearings in, and your wheel gets is good for another ten thousand kilometers. <laughs> and I think as a as a consumer, you have a responsibility to think about where you spend the money um, on that stuff. And it's it's kind of the same with all this innovation. And for instance. Like, I don't need to hate on carbon bikes. I have a carbon bike also. Okay. But some of the carbon bikes are designed in a way that, you know how if you have a, if you see an Audi A4, mm -hmm. you know if it's an Audi from this year or if, it, or if it's an Audi from three years ago. You look at it and you instantly know. Yeah. And that is because it's designed that way. Yeah. Um, we're going into a whole sustainability discussion rather than a bike. We can, we can do that anyways. <laughs> it's um, everything about our conversation. And it's so. kind of the same, with, same thing with carbon bikes. So funnily enough, last week I've had two customers in with the first generation Kenyan Arrow. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, so if you, see, if you get that in the shop now, you see that it's sort of a dated bike. It's, it's, it's like it's slightly older bike. Mm -hmm. and it's designed that way to look not necessarily because Kenyon does that but because everyone does that and then I have a, a bike in built by our good friend Lester who builds steel bikes handmade here in Amsterdam and you see that bike and you just know man 10 years from now that person is going to look at his bike and he loves it even more because he spent so much good times on it and he's good at, had good adventures with it and all that stuff but a Lester is more expensive than that carbon it's a steel bike but it's more expensive than um any carbon super bike but it's handmade by a guy in amsterdam who's literally made that bike for you and 10 or 15 years down the road you're still gonna love that bike it's gonna probably last forever a bicycle like this mm. yeah for sure you can give it to your grandson or to your granddaughter or whatever and still it's gonna be a no age no age bicycles without any problem you can and also because you can exchange with no problems all the components and this still is gonna work definitely and when you die your grandchild is gonna steal it from the attic and he's gonna bring it out in the street and he's gonna turn it into some cool fixie bike or something whatever that's something that you hate right now and they're still gonna use it 
which is amazing. No, that's that's really, really great. And yeah, I'm talking about uh, the market or whatever. That's really, in my opinion, again, going back to the conversation, that's really talking directly with the customers because Lester is making the bicycle really talking with the user, really talking with the consumer, really talking with the person that is going to ride that bike forever. So it can really put the hands on innovating and getting the perfect bike that he wants. Yeah. Otherwise, if you're producing mass products, you just, you're going to push the person to like that bike and uh, is not going to be the user planning together with you the bike. Do not know what I, do not if you know what I mean. And somewhere in two or three years time, that person is going to wake up and the brand that he's bought his bike from has just announced their new model of the bike that he already has. And there will be a slight sort of pain on the inside, like, hmm, my old bike is now old, and now there is a newer version of this. And unfortunately, that's the way humans work. And then We had all this conversation, we talked about that, is everything super fine? But at the point, I really need to ask you your opinion on that. And I kind of know already the answer, but we can go deep on that. So do you think that in 2020, do we still need a bicycle shop or a bicycle workshop? Or do you think that, maybe not in 2020 because we still have it, but do you think that in five years we are not going to need it anymore? I'm not saying if they're going to be here or not, but do you think that do we still need them? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like... So the funny thing is when I started riding my bikes more and more, I also started working on them. And I always thought that was what everyone did. And, and, and um, two years ago, I came to the realization that I was, I thought I was sort of the, um, the average in that respect. But then I realized that there's, um, that's not what everyone does. Everyone rides their bikes and just ride their bikes more. And only a few people start working on their bikes. And um, I don't know, like a bike shop can be such an invaluable place for good advice, creative solutions, really experienced hands to work on your bike, uh, a place where you can talk about bikes and form your opinion about them. Um, and... Like I see it in the practice every day, people coming into the shop and they um, they think they have a problem and then they explain to you what the problem is and you say, like, hey, but I've seen a bike part at one of my suppliers that actually solves your problem. Or you're trying to mount a computer to that and that handlebar. Oh, I know a solution to, to fix your problem. Okay. Or you want to, you know, there's so many... So the bike industry is such a creative, cool industry, and there's so much good products out there. And and as a con like, I totally understand as a consumer that you sometimes don't see all the solutions, and that's where bike shops can come in handy. Yeah, You're, if there's something wrong with your bike that you don't know how to fix, I get customers like that. They've 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 taken their bike, online bought bike, out of the box. They put it together and then the shifting doesn't work. So what do they do? They go on YouTube and find, how do I adjust my front derailleur? And they've worked on it for two hours and it just has only gotten shittier from that. Point. Yes. And then they come into the shop and they go like, oh man, it's just, it's not working anymore. It's just a fucking disaster. And they come in and we take the bike in and we adjust it. And with 
our knowledge and our experience, we make it work. And it's like, yes, some people can totally get to a YouTube video and make their front derailleur sing, but some people cannot. And it's totally okay. Like, I don't have any judgment about that. But at the end of the day, you need someone that can make your gearing work or make your wheels sing or make your bike feel as amazing as it can be. Yeah, that's for sure a great point. And, but I want to stress a bit on the point that you said at the beginning. It's also a good way to build up the community. Something like people that are coming there and they, they're just asking for some tips or some recommendation. What do you think about that? Should I buy, I don't know, uh, the new Shimano group set? Or even better, how can I fix the new Shimano group set? How do you think I can uh, service my the bearings of my wheels or whatever? Because the point is that you are not there to rip people off by asking them money and to getting their money. You are there to make them love their bicycle more and more. So there is a the kind of person that they also need, like myself, when I usually need the bicycle in my workshop or to my friends, to my mechanics, they also, they also need to clean my bike because I'm so bad on the bike and they do everything for me. While there are other people that they need to love a bit more their bicycle by telling them, how they can maintain better the chain ring, how they can maintain better the handlebar. I'm having you, for example, you are telling me, Stefan, if you want to fix your handling problem with the bike, why don't you get a wider handlebar? And all these kind of things. Only in this way, by really nurturing the community with tips, recommendations, events, or whatever, you are going to make the best out of the cycling life. And that's why you also need a bicycle shop. Yeah, and also... So this is an interesting part. I, so making a bicycle, or a bicycle is actually pretty, it's a really simple machine, but there's some really complicated stuff sometimes going on, especially in higher end bikes. Yeah. You know, hydraulic disc brakes are a bit more complex. Uh, if you go into electronic shifting, you're going into a whole new ball game. If your bike is not working, it's not an app where you get like the next push notification from Apple to update your app and make it work better if there was a bug in it. It's a physical product. And for that physical product, you need someone to work on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely, definitely. And, you're, and you don't want to buy all the time a new bike just because the market is telling you that and because your hydraulic disc brake doesn't work, you know? You can fix it. And you can easily fix it by bringing it to you. Yeah, and it's like, it's not... Your hydraulic disc brake doesn't work shitty because it's a shitty brake. It probably works shitty because it needs some adjustment it needs some maintenance maybe it needs some new brake pads or a brake bleed you know you need someone that understands uh, how they can make those products work for you because in the end the, the products are usually pretty good yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but i just want to end this conversation that we had amazing by asking you uh, a tip and a recommendation to all of us consumer that are out so we got to know a bit more today how a bicycle shop works, which one are some things around the corner that we don't know. And how cool is actually to talk with people in this way and to let them know how you're working on the bike and stuff. But how can we, and I think that the triangle things that you said already is already a good point. How do you think that us as consumer, as customers can really support you as owner of a bicycle workshop or a bicycle shop or whatever? How can we really support 
this kind of network in order to continue and to give us the help that we, we always need for the next 150 years, probably 200. Since when we are going to start building only bicycles that are going to fly? You can be rough if you want. No, like I don't like I don't want to be rough, but to give you, I, I can give you a small example. Um, I had a customer come in on a Wednesday evening late, and he had a race the next day. And he's like, "I need a new cassette because my cassette's worn and my chain is worn." And I had those in stock, so um, I could put them on his bike. He came in five minutes before closing time. I stayed half an hour longer, 45 minutes longer. I put the stuff on his bike, made it work. And I charged him the regular price that, that's the, like the official retail price that Shimano charges for that chain and that cassette. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is more expensive than going to some online discount. Of course. Which is a whole other discussion, but let's not go in there. So I charged him the official price. And then he took his bike home. And the next day he said, man, that was like a really expensive fucking cassette because I just checked online and it's super more, it's like way more cheap when I get it at that and that online retailer. Mm. And I go like, well, and the funny thing is he said, that's a missed opportunity for you. And I was like, well, where's the missed opportunity in that? Because... I, the price that I, that you see at that online retailer is pretty much the price that I purchase it through my official channels from Shimano. Yeah. So if I sell it to you for the price that that online retailer is selling it to you, I don't like, I literally lose a few euros on selling you that cassette. Mm -hmm. You know, as cool a place as that online retailer is, because it's really one of the very well-organized retailers in the Netherlands. Um, and they have like, I don't know, like 24 hour help desk, yada, 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 yada. But that help desk is not going to put that cassette on your bike. Of course. Five minutes before closing time. Like, I don't want to turn this into like a crying contest from a bike shop, but give some slack to the guys to work, like help you out at the last minute when you have a race the next day. Realize, realize the whole thing. Like be honest about the whole field of uh, forces that's happening at that point mm -hmm. because you want a bike that performs well the next day at your race um, be willing it's the, it's the same triangle again of, of good, fast and cheap yeah. so this guy wanted it fast and he wanted it good but he also wanted it cheap and it's just it's not fair to expect all three of them Yeah, and also I can tell you that at the end of the day the point is that you didn't give him uh, a more expensive price that you would have given to somebody else because you charge him the regular price. The only point is that how much your time, how much does your time cost? Because you're going to buy your, um, yeah, it was something like the chain and the cassette. You're going to buy them online. Then you have to do it a couple of days before the race. Then you have to stay home and then you have to fix it. How much your time costs? So you're just assuming, assuming that your time, because you're fixing it, is cheaper than bus time? Ask your boss then. That's what the thing, because he's missing really the biggest part, something like the rent of your place and everything, let's put them on the side, but yourself, working on his cassette with your experience here, you did it in half an hour, 45 minutes. He's going to take at least three hours because he's not used on that. 
and still you are complaining about that, you would have lost three hours of your time. And like I, I work with clients. So sometimes I work with customers and sometimes we look at the stuff and I, I get a quick look online and see if someone wants a new group set on their bike. And I look and the online retailers are really good at selling a group set for cheap. And sometimes like I'll give them a little bit of a discount because I can see how big the difference is between between what I should be charging them versus what the online retailers are charging them. And I go like, well, I give you a little bit of discount, but I can only go so far. And honestly, most customers understand it and are, are really cool about it. But some are not because they think, you, exactly like you said before, they think we are ripping them off. But honestly, we're like, I don't know a lot of bike shops that are ripping you off. Of course. Like bike shops mean it in the, and like, we need to pay rent and all the tools that we have, we actually go through tools and stuff like that. And then you go, yeah, but I, so part, like we partly make some money on the components that we sell you and we make some money on the time that we spend on your bike. And that, in the end, adds up to what we can do for you. Mm -hmm. And if you need a new cassette five minutes before your race, then if we're not there anymore, we cannot put it on. That's the point, you know. I'm not paying you only for the products. You are not a provider. So I'm talking about bicycle shop. It can be whatever. I have a shoemaker here that is a friend of mine and he helps me a lot of times. When I pay him, and most of the time I don't because he doesn't want my money, but when I go to him, I'm getting, first of all, when I get something, I'm getting his experience, his time, and he's going to fix my shoes or he's going to fix my bicycle in 10% of the time that I would take. His experience, because if I'm going to go out with a bicycle that I fix myself, if I'm going to go out with a bicycle that you fix, there are way more probabilities that the bicycle that I fix, because I'm not an expert, I don't do anything or whatever, is going to break in the middle of the road and it's going to waste completely my ride. I'm putting all these things together. Also, the chart, the recommendation. Stefano, why do you want to buy this one? Buy this other one that is even cheaper. All these things. I'm paying that, you know? I'm paying the experience of a bicycle shop owner. I'm paying the experience... And the experience that I have, the experience of the person, of the shoemaker, all these kind of things. Yeah, and, and honestly, then, say you don't want to pay your shoemaker friend because he's too expensive. So you throw your shoes out and you go to a Nike store and you buy a, pair, a new pair of sneakers. Then in the end, all of us together are paying the price because we're turning this world into a dumpster. Because we're not willing to accept responsibility for the stuff that we own. <laughs> Definitely. And you know what I'm thinking? Also, this is a super important point, but still going back to the experience part. I'm coming to your workshop. You're fixing my bicycle. And you're also telling, telling me all the experience that you got with your Atlas Monterey's, where you saw that there the world is really turning in something that probably everybody's going to experience with uh, the climate change or whatever. Have you seen how many dry rivers there were there and whatever? How many, how much trash there was there and stuff? You're telling really the experience of people how the world is changing in this way, <laughs> you know? Still talking about experience. It's not only I'm going there, the only experience that I'm going to get in any kind of shop on a website is, okay, I got this cassette, it's really good. No, you're saying you are great. You are fixing the bicycle in this way. We are just fixing the bearing and we are not changing the whole um, wheel set and stuff. And you know what I saw also around. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, and, and 
like if you get good bicycle components it can be amazing what you can repair exactly exactly like i was going through some of the questions that you emailed me before one of the questions that you sent me was how do the big brands work with your local store exactly let's go into that and i really like so i was writing it down the answer and i thought you know in the end it comes down to the people it's always like i don't deal with brands i deal with people in the end like the people behind the brand and they are always cyclists and so we already have like a common ground there and for instance like working with rafa I have a really good relationship with the people behind Rafa here in the Netherlands. And, um, and you have Dave and Marit and, and they, have a, they have an amazing crew here in the Netherlands. And when we started Wheelrunner, they had their fleet of rental bikes and they asked me to service their rental bikes. Um, and that's how that relationship started. And it's, it's, it doesn't have to do with brands or marketing. It's the people behind the brands. And the same thing if we like the, that I found find now is when we pick brands that we work with in the shop, we just recently become Apidura um, a dealer. And they, because they have an amazing policy, like they never go on sale. They don't do Black Friday. So imagine if you have a shop and then um, I buy, I don't know, like a thousand euros worth of Apidura bags that are supposed sell for a certain price in my shop on which I can make a little bit of profit. But then on Black Friday, this brand that I've chosen decides to, on their website, to throw in these huge discounts. So everyone starts buying from those brands directly. So this stuff that I have in the shop that I invested in, all of a sudden becomes less valuable overnight. And, and that sucks. And then I, so the, People from Apidura, they don't do Black Friday sales. They offer repairs on the stuff that they do. And you can tell that there's like people who take responsibility for their brand behind that. Um, we have a really good relationship with the people from SRAM. And they have, in a, uh, they have a European service center in the Nijkerk here in the Netherlands. And the people there are really into wrenching on bikes they really you can tell when you when you call them and i i took i call them with a problem like hey man uh i'm mounting a new disc brake on this bike what would be the best part of the hose to unscrew it from like is it up at the handle or is it up at the caliper and then i get someone on the phone who actually knows what they're talking about they're okay. like, oh no i should you should disconnect it there on that side because it works easier okay and um I have some problems with Shimano's distribution system because okay. all the onlineers end up with too low prices. But so it's hard for me as a shop to explain what's going on. But Shimano has a really good warranty service. So if you we send in a part from Shimano that's a few years old and kind of on the on the verge of like, is this a warranty or not? More often than not, they go like, well, we'll send you a new part. Okay. You know, and that's awesome because in the end, it sucks when you have an expensive bike and one of your parts breaks. And it's just, it makes people happy when they feel that they're supported by a company. And in the end, it's always the people working at those um, companies that are cyclists themselves. Because no one goes working in the bike, no one starts working in the bike industry if 
they're not a cyclist. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it's really rare, I would say. We are all there and uh, we are all cy- All the people that are working in this industry are cyclists because they really enjoy the passion of that. And they're trying to do a good job. Like even if someone is frustrated with Kenyan's customer service or um, whatever, like at the end, there's people there trying to make it good for you. They're really trying. Honestly, I can tell because we talk to them on a daily basis. Okay. And the cool thing that you're saying is actually the cool thing is that even if you can get better deals online or whatever, uh, a deal like this will never replace the conversation that we're having right now of you being really the reflection on how cool are the people at the SRAM service, uh, the Shimano that they're sending your PCC yeah. in guarantee, even if they are not. Apidura is the same thing, Canyon or whatever. You're really the best interface. You don't work directly for them, but you work with them and you can really witness how cool are these people around. From a website, from a website of an online retailer, Nothing against them, against, but it's physically really difficult to do it. And if you want to have, if you have time and if you have good handling skills or whatever, then okay, order your stuff, plan it in advance and whatever, and then you're going to get a better price. On the other side, if you want something that you don't know how to fix it, you don't know how to put your hands on there, you don't know how to tackle, then you go to a shop and... You know, you don't care about the 20 bucks more, I would say. Yeah. It was a really great, amazing conversation. And I have to say just thank you. But I think that now people will know a bit more what's behind a small or a big, a small bicycle shop that deals with customers and deals with uh, good people and deals with big brands and small brands. I have to say really thank you for that. And maybe just to say goodbye, just tell me a couple of projects that you have for the next times around cycling you told me already that you are gonna if it's gonna happen you're gonna make the further right what else um so that's what i really want to do um and there's uh, an event put it's called the rhino run ah yes in south africa yeah well yeah. actually it goes from south africa to namibia and the the planned starting date is november 1st um but I don't know with the whole Corona thing what's going to happen, but we need to, I don't know, we need to see somewhere in the future. And also, honestly, I'm slowly but surely, I'm starting to have more of a hard time uh, justifying to myself to fly somewhere. Yes. Uh, to, just to ride my bike. Um, so, like, I really like what GB Duro's done, where they've kind of um, requested from their participants to come out to the event without flying mm-hmm. um, and I haven't quite figured it out although Rhino Run is like a super special event so like I don't know like I'm a bit on the thing about that and um, I don't know like we're, we're trying to build Wheel Runner into a healthy business and um, that can provide me with a more or less a stable income and, and pay the people that work here and um, pay what we need to pay. Um, I have one or two ideas for small products that are that, that we could design ourselves and, and bring. Can't wave toward that, man. You are usually have super good ideas. So. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's probably products that can only work on a small scale, but could be really cool. And I'm, I'm looking at, so we're looking at that. And kind of in the longer run, maybe um, I would like to see if we could, if we get this wheel runner stable and running, if we could do 
like maybe a few more wheel runners in cities around Europe. Okay. Um, but only if we can do it in a way that that sort of fits with our ethos and the atmosphere that we're trying to do here. I think like even it's kind of funny because for me, Zurich as a city would work, for instance. I think I'm not completely familiar with the bicycle shop landscape there. Um, but that would be cool. No worries. Don't we can we can have a talk about that. And if we run yeah. and we start here for sure, I will be the happiest person on earth. I should come riding down to Zurich and check it out. That's something that you should do, man. You have a place to stay here and also a bike if you need it. But you're going to come with your own one, so it's fine. Yeah, I would come on my bike. <laughs> and then I can, I can fix your bike. Yeah, for example, all of them. Actually, I need to bring my road bike to the shop. I had to write my friend there working. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, boss, best of luck for the future. Thanks a lot for the amazing chat. And uh, yeah, talk to you soon. Thanks, man. So thanks a lot, Buzz, to be on the Brunwagen this week for one of the most friendly, natural, lovely and long chats of my podcasting life. But I think it was pretty useful. Now we know, we all know a bit more about how it is to run on the back door of a bicycle shop, not only from the angle of customers, but also of the owner of a bicycle shop. I learned a lot and I will always try to push in the direction on, uh, yes, treating people into the bike shop like human beings and in this case, friends, like the friends that I have also all around Europe and not only a service provider. That's the most important thing, not only, not only for bicycle shop, but for everything. Well, what else, people? Nothing else than thanks open for supporting this season of the podcast. It has been great, especially for the adventure that I've been running around. And thanks to you for listening to that. Don't forget, as usual, don't forget to share, review, rate, subscribe, and whatever you want to do with this episode. Feel free to write me. Instagram is calamaro.cc. Hello at calamaro.cc is my email. And just in the description below, you're going to find also the link from my bi-weekly newsletter that I'm sending out with a bit of information about cycling, but also about a lot of cool links on everything that I really care of in this short life. Well... Nothing else. Thanks a lot for listening again. I will talk to you next week. Bye.